Fangoria has been at it for over 40 years and is better than ever. Not only is Fangoria highly collectible, if you get your hands on an annual subscription, it comes right to your door four times a year. Can't beat that. And each issue is filled to the brim with articles exploring every nook and cranny of genre filmmaking, past, present, and future, with all the most exciting journalists, filmmakers, and horror know-it-alls to guide the way, including... Yes, me and Mr. Wampler from time to time. This high quality writing will only ever appear within the physical pages of the magazine. So if you want to join in on the fun, you will need to subscribe. To do that, all you have to do is head on over to Fangoria.com and sign up. And since KingCast listeners are in the family, you can enter in the promo code KingCast at checkout to save a whopping 25% off your entire order. And with all of that said, let's get on with the show. Hi, my name is Stephen King. The ice is gonna break! Well, sometimes that is better. Hello, and welcome back to the KingCast on the Fangoria Podcast Network. My name is Eric Vespi. And I'm Scott Wampler. And we are your hosts. It's a new year and we're kicking it off in style with the great Akela Cooper, the screenwriter behind Malignant and this week's highly anticipated killer doll who also dances good movie, Megan. <laughs> Today's topic is Stephen King's Cycle of the Werewolf slash Silver Bullet. But before we get rolling on that, let me welcome back Miss Akela Cooper to the KingCast stage. Welcome back. Hello. Glad to be back. I Very know. We've, to have you we've, back. we've missed you. Last time we were talking to you about... Uh, about like all the wonders of what Megan could be. And uh, now people <laughs> are starting to see it and it's become already an internet sensation yes. uh, uh, just with a trailer. So congratulations <laughs> on that. Thank you. Thank you. From the minute the first trailer showed up, like people were going ape shit about this. Do you, do you have a theory about what it is? It that it's a little doll that looks like a girl and it's dancing and killing. Is it that simple? Is it the design of the thing? Are people just, they love a killer doll movie. Like the response was huge to this thing, like in a way that's kind of unusual. It was, I mean, it took me by surprise. Like I, I obviously like I had the heads up. It's like, Hey, the trailer's going to drop on like a random Tuesday morning. It's like, okay, cool. And so I, I got the alert. It's like, Hey, the trailer's out. And I, you know, tweeted about it and then was going about my day. And then all of a sudden my, like, Roughly an hour later, my phone started blowing up with friends being like, people are memeing this. And I'm like, what are you talking about? <laughs> memeing what? And they're like, the Megan trailer. And I'm like, oh, shit. And then, like, that's when I got back on Twitter and saw that it was trending and, like, all of, yes, all of the memes and the music. And it was shocking. Like, it was it was shocking. But I think one of the things is that, yes, it's a killer doll. Mm-hmm. Dolls are inherently creepy. Like no matter yeah. what, mm-hmm. they're inherently creepy. And, and I remember children are creepy, and it's kind of like a half doll, half child thing. So you got double creeps going on. And that was deliberate because, like, initially when we were talking <laughs> about Megan, it was it was kind of like obviously like it was pitched to me by the guys at Atomic Monsters, like Chopping Mall meets Child's Play, and then Justin Scott, uh, who actually like had the initial seat of the idea because he had been in uh, I think he was buying something for someone in an American Girl doll store. Mm. And he was like, what if one of these, you know, came to life and started killing people? But like American girl dolls are tiny. And so Mm -hmm. when I was writing this, I'm like, when you're a child, you want something your size to play with. So in the script, I was like, she's the size of, I think, like an eight year old. Like I'm an adult now and I forget how tall 
certain age children can be, but I'm like, eight years old seems like, what is that, four feet something? Like, right. roughly? <laughs> I'm like, no, she's she's a, she's child size. She needs to be child size, especially if we want to differentiate her from one Mr. Uh, uh, Chucky. And so, yep. like, the designers just took that and, and ran with it because it was, my description of her was, like, she's child size, like a height of an eight-year-old, and then wearing, like, you know, school girl clothes. Uh, make of that what you will. And then they came back and they showed me like what they'd done. Uh, and I was like, Oh my God, she looks like a psychotic sorority girl. And it was great. <laughs> it was great. Like even I was just like, Holy shit, that is disturbing. And her look and her fashion sense. And then people were like, okay, it's uncanny Valley. It's creepy, but she's got great taste in clothes. And then you put in the dancing and that's what it was like that <laughs> that triple combo of people just like oh my god I have to know what this is, and so <laughs> that's bet. what I think did it. It's so funny. Like I I'm willing to bet here. I'm going to stake my flag in the ground on this. You're going to see studios and streamers and stuff. They're going to start demanding that uh, there is some sort of weird dance in any of their genre <laughs> things. Because that's the the TikTok effect, right? The look at what's happening with Wednesday right now. Like, just if you open up TikTok, it's just everybody replicating the the weird Wednesday dance, you know, from, yes, from that there's... series. And and I'm sure that you got the same thing with the uh, uh, with Megan. Like, I didn't see it as much on TikTok, but I saw like a lot of recreations and fun fan fan edits and stuff on on Twitter. You're right. That. It, it seems to be like a sorry. I didn't sorry to interrupt, oh, but no, it seems no. to be like that. That's the like that's the surefire way to like guarantee a meme now is if you have, mm-hmm. especially in genre, something very mm. uh, out of place, you know, and weird and funky, you know, that people can replicate in, on social media. Yeah, that is. It's it's the people like dancing, and especially I think in like the TikTok influencer era, anything mm. that like because like what was TikTok once the pandemic started was nothing but people like doing dance moves that were going viral. So yes, it's like the dance moves that people can copy and, and post everyone seems to love doing that. So yeah. And it was, it was, it was a fortuitous thing that like the actress uh, that we cast to be the body of Megan, I believe I can say that now uh, is a trained dancer. And so that was just like light bulb moment for everybody it's like oh hell yeah let's <laughs> let's add that element it's like it's a skill that we can use are y'all actually on tiktok i i i am i'm not gonna say who i am because i'm like a <laughs> right lurker. you're a lur- okay yeah. uh and <clears throat> i just i i i just like watching funny people and cat videos on tiktok i don't feel the need to to post all that yeah. much even though right TikTok on. now is like doing this thing where it's like, hey, if you want to see someone you follow, you need to post. I'm like, I'm not fucking doing that. No, oh, are they saying <laughs> yeah. that shit now? That'll be the thing that gets me off of TikTok. Like for um, the longest time, everyone was confused because like you'd be scrolling through your For You page uh-huh. and then like what looked like an ad would come up from like, I'm already following these people. Why are you promoting their stuff to me? Just show it to me. And then I re- I actually read it. And it was like, hey, if you want to see this content, you need to post something. It's like, no. Yeah. No, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> That's weird. I looked down on them and I said, no. <laughs> yeah, I have, I have been to TikTok and I've looked upon its wares. And some of them are very good. But I also feel, I don't know. I just feel like I don't, how do I put it? It's kind of like Instagram. Like I just joined Instagram not too long ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, right around the time that 
Twitter started uh, violently imploding, uh, <laughs> it, you know, just in case I needed a, a, yeah. you know, an escape hatch. And uh, I've been like learning the ropes over there. It's a whole completely different kind of culture. I'm not sure I like it as much as Twitter, which is more of a rough and tumble sort of hive of scum and villainy that I, I have gotten kind of used to. Frankly. And thrive in. Yes. Yeah. And ins- like- it, yeah. <laughs> and, and Instagram is more like. It, the the I, I post pictures of my dog over there now, and people just love it, and it's very gentle and kind, and no one ever says a mean thing. And I'm well, like, just I mean, just wait. Like Instagram can be <laughs> just as bad. Oh, really? If you, yeah. If you get enough followers, they can be kind of snarky. Yeah. But for the most part, it's like, yeah, like here's a photo of my dog. Have a great day. Like <laughs> I. I was a fan of Instagram, but like also Instagram's algorithm is now it's like, I am going to show you nothing but ads. Yeah. There's and a lot of suggested that content. I'm like, I just want to see my friend's photos. Like that's all I want to see. And I don't want to have to like tell you that every single time I log on to this app that all I want to see is my friend's pictures. So for like the longest time, I was just kind of like, I'd fallen off of Instagram. But now that Megan is coming out, I've been posting a lot more of like promotional stuff. But I, right. I was one of the few people I think who loved Twitter because it was exactly what I needed, which was like uh, a feed of like news and friends and and stuff like that. And it's just jokes, jokes. Because yeah, early on I was like, hey, remember when this was Twitter? It was just like people being stupid um, <laughs> and 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 puns and all of that. And yeah, it... <laughs> and now it's like someone being like a. I had a sandwich for lunch and then they get dog piled. It's like, my exactly. father choked on like, a sandwich. How dare you? It is <laughs> so weird. I have like so many like friends who, who are actors and one of whom I'm not going to name because I don't want people to dog pile on them anymore. But just like witnessing it in real time where like they posted something innocuous and positive and then like mm-hmm. people were just in their mentions like completely taking it out of context and shitting on them. And it's just like, what the... F- what is wrong with you in your life that you feel the need to do this? Like, I understand <laughs> therapy is expensive, Look, but there there should be ways. Like, come on now. Find, you should not be doing this to a complete stranger on the internet. Yeah. yeah. The, the combination of monumentally stupid people and troll culture is... Uh, <laughs> deadly. <laughs> it, it's very deadly. And, and, uh, and you can't predict either one, you know, so... Like the the I guess that you can armor yourself up by being snarky as and then they they view you as one of their own I guess uh, you know but I don't know I, I saw somebody describe Twitter as like the only social media that's like kind of built for writers and that's why I think that I'm mm-hmm. comfortable there everything else is so image focused and I get too self conscious I couldn't do TikTok not because I'm camera shy necessarily but because I, I just I get too self-conscious of like doing it outside of my living room. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like I've seen all those, you know, if you've been out in the wild and you've seen somebody recording a TikTok out in the wild, it's the most cringe inducing. It is, you know, horrible yeah. fucking thing that you've ever seen. And and like I just I'm I'm way too conscious of of uh, of that. I, I couldn't couldn't do it. I couldn't break through that that uh, that barrier. I but think that's also, go ahead. It's like. Early on, when it's just like, oh, it's a TikToker in the wild. It's literally like a National Geographic thing for human beings. <laughs> Where it's like, they're real. And they're doing that thing. And, oh, that just, I'm, I'm sure it's going to look great once you, like, get it done. Man, I could not, like, be out in the middle of, like, the Beverly Center dancing. <laughs> right. It's, it's like, really yeah. egregious shit. 
Yeah, I don't know. I, I mean, my the original thing I was going to say, and I kind of got us off track here by bringing Instagram up, but uh, TikTok was like another platform. I looked at it and I'm kind of like, I don't, you know, I don't have the time or the inclination <laughs> to learn the culture of this place. And it just seems I feel like I felt too old to be fucking mm. around on on TikTok. But I'm also like like hyper TikTok. aware of. Yeah, you would. The thing with TikTok and I joined years ago when it was like after the uh, uh, Gen Zers like humiliated a certain former president uh, <laughs> by inflating ticket sales for his rally. And then they were like, well, we're going to like ban TikTok uh, from the States. I'm like, well, let me you're not going to ban shit from me. I'm an American. Uh, so <laughs> let me join this app while I still can. And then I started right. using it as like, Oh, Hey, there's like some really cool stuff. Cause like you train the algorithm with what you want to see. Like I like cats. I like science. I like nature and comedy. And so like that <laughs> and food, like that is a lot of my, what's, what's called your for you page. Uh, and then from there you can like follow people. And if you only want to see stuff from the people you're following, you can switch over to that option. Um, and it's just your curated feed. Like I've gotten a lot of good recipes off of TikTok. Yeah. Uh, there's like, and what I do enjoy is that like normal people, like either like early on it was like the dances, the the dance trends that people would do or the challenges, and then uh, like just skits of like watching like regular people write and do skits. It's like it's just entertaining. And so what I usually use it for, I'm like, oh, is there nothing on right now until the thing I want to see comes on? Then yeah, I'll just scroll through, you know, TikTok for like 30 minutes or an hour. Which, mind you, it can get addictive. Like sometimes yeah. I've looked up and it's like, I've been on this thing for two hours. Oh shit. Yeah. <laughs> it, it is very much hitting the 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 button for a pellet snack, right? You you're getting yeah. it it's such like bite-sized things that like I don't like this scroll. I don't like this. I don't oh, this is funny. Oh, yeah. there's a, a a wife scaring her husband and he shrieks like a little girl every time he rounds a corner. You know, I'm going to I laugh at that. That's funny. Then you move on it's like, "Oh, this is a thirst trap." You know, the, move oh, yeah. on. This is you know, like here's a dude doing recipes from a 1930s cookbook and and, uh, yeah. uh, and it's really bizarre. You know, it's like I don't know. There's it's such like a I don't know. It's like uh, Stay Tuned. Have you ever seen that John Ritter movie, Stay yeah. Tuned? Where oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It, so it's like where every time they they flip the channel, there's something fascinating or weird or bizarre or all the above on, and that that to me is TikTok. Yeah, it's like, like one yeah. of my favorite current trends. Like I haven't seen too many, but like <laughs> because it's college football, like you have like a, a clip of like some poor guy like trying to catch a football, and then he like runs into a car because he's not paying attention to where he's running. And then you mm-hmm. cut to the uh, user going, it's like 67 Buick, the Ohio state uh, as if like <laughs> that inanimate object is like on a team for college. There was another with like a, a door where like the small child, like ended up running into a door. And so the guy is like porch door. Notre Dame, blah 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 blah, and it's just <laughs> it's shit like that. That's just like it's so simple and stupid and and everyday, and it's just funny, and I love it. And there was like long ago, and I say this because like the trends on TikTok, like man, they go really really quickly. Um, but earlier this year, and I think last year, there was the uh, uh, Smash Mouth song, some body and like they would just <laughs> aim that song at like people falling and hurting themselves and it's so fucking oh, yeah. funny yeah lots of america's funniest home videos kind of shit going on on that exactly with, uh, that's, yeah. that's exactly what it is dad's getting hit in the nuts with a you know wiffle ball bat and shit you know 
Yeah, I miss that stuff. So. Yes. Uh, but yeah, if you do go on the TikTok uh, anytime in the near future, Scott, look up a guy named uh, Che Durina. He's this dude who always ends every video with "Follow me, you fucking idiots," and like, <laughs> and and he'll always do super <clears throat> sexy stuff, and like, not him himself, but like, they'll be like those thirst traps or whatever, and he'll be like, "Ah, oh, what you looking at, you little perv? Yes. I know what you were looking yeah. at, you fucking perv." Like the people will come he's in a comedian like, what, and he's what built color this whole was the brain. counter? I'm just like, oh, yeah. you know, I wasn't looking at the counter. <laughs> yeah, so that dude's like way up your alley. Like, uh, he, he'd be somebody I'd love to give on get on the show at some point he's uh he's just ridiculously funny he's a comedian and he's like found a way to use this and people can do that like fucking mike flanagan's great at tiktok yeah i've seen some of his stuff i mean i've seen it on twitter but right because it inevitably gets reposted over there but i don't know i'm just being a stick in the mud about it i got enough things to manage i don't need another social media media addiction yes i've already thrown in my lot with instagram i just (laughs) <laughs> and also, I don't really. If I had it, I would. It would just be to lurk on it. I have no. Yeah, that's what. Oh I yeah, do. no. And again, that's what I do. Like maybe occasionally, I will post something about my cat when they have like funny little uh, 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 cat filters that, like, you know, it's like, mm-hmm. hey, you want to see your cat as a cop? Sure. <laughs> All cats are bastards. They are. They are. <laughs> and they know it, and they love it. And you can keep the acronym just the same as it was. I mean, how perfect <laughs> is that? So uh, we should probably talk about some Stephen King shit at some point on this show. Um, what? I'm that? sure the listeners are like, finally. Yeah, yes. Stephen King's <laughs> TikTok is fucking amazing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, follow me, you fucking idiots. <laughs> Microwaving salmon on his TikTok. <laughs> yeah. He would do that. He would fit. Yeah. In, in like his corgi with a fucking weird, weird filter on it. I mean, there's plenty of uh, I think I think Stephen King would rule on uh, on TikTok. I'm just putting that out there. Maybe maybe flex that, those di- directorial muscles that he hasn't uh, that he hasn't touched <laughs> since Maximum Overdrive. Oh God! See what he comes up with. Um, we are here today to talk about Cycle of the Werewolf slash Silver Bullet. Now you've already done this show before, so we don't need to go through the uh, you know Stephen King origin story rigmarole that we we put all our guests through. Um, but we have talked about Cycle of the Werewolf and Silver Bullet uh, uh, several times in the show, and we've. We did a commentary for it. And so we were talking before the show of, you know, what's a what's a fresh angle that we could come at this with? And, um, you know, something that I think you you've done really well, Akela, in the your last two films, um, Megan and Malignant, uh, is to build a story around, you know, a central creature. And that's something that King does really well here. And that sounds like a really simple thing, but I've seen a number of monster movies that are doing essentially the same thing that just kind of suck. They don't work. So I thought we could use this as an opportunity to talk about what makes a good creature feature. You know, whether it be a a young little robot girl who dances or, you know, a twin that's been partially absorbed (laughs) into another twin or a rampaging werewolf who also happens to be a priest. Um, So... I guess for starters, what in your mind makes a a great monster movie? The design, like you have to have Mm -hmm. a good, memorable design. Totally with you on this. Mm -hmm. The immediate visual is, oh shit, I would not want to see that coming at me in a dark alley or down a dark hallway. First, like it's got to poke that, that lizard part of your brain into flight. Um, Mm -hmm. 
And the second thing I think is like, there has to be some emotional connection to whatever your creature is. Like my all time favorite horror movie monster is Pumpkinhead. Um, mm. Ooh, like interesting choice. All time. Love it. Like, love that. Like I, I won't go into it. I've gone into it other places, but like I saw that movie in theaters and it scared the absolute shit out of me. And I had nightmares for weeks cause I was a small child. Um, but yeah, I, I, but also in that movie, you have Lance Henriksen who plays a father who has lost his son, spoiler mm-hmm. alert for like a 35 year old movie. Um, <laughs> and he's, he, he conjures this creature out of grief. Yeah. And then again, spoiler alert, when you find out how it works, which is that when you are the person who conjures this vengeance demon, you then become the vengeance demon. Like it's, it's a cycle, if you will. Yeah. And it's heartbreaking. It's just absolutely because he does try to like mm-hmm. stop it and he can't. And so there's that emotional aspect of like, oh, my goodness, if you were a parent or you had a loved one in that situation, like you're immediately, oh, my God, I don't want to be alone with this creature. And then it's like, if I was in this situation, what would I do? Um, and I think it's like the same thing with, you know, we, we, you know, I think hopefully did with malignant, uh, is that, you know, you do have some sympathy for Gabriel. The design is awesome. How he moves is awesome. Um, but you also feel, uh, for Madeline and what she's been going through and, and what's happened to her and, and her sister. And same thing with Megan is the setup is that like this child, uh, with you know reverse echoes of Pumpkinhead has lost her parents. She's an orphan and she's in this unfamiliar place with this guardian who is related to her, but she doesn't really know. She's lonely, and then into her life comes this doll who wants nothing more than to be her friend. Uh, as uncanny as it looks, like hmm. you need you need you need a good design and you need that emotional hook. What about levels of absurdity? Because that's something that you have been able to work very well in into mm-hmm. your writing and, and you know and in some of the things you we've we've touched on like you know pumpkin head's a pretty absurd movie it's a dark movie but it's you know it there's a great fairy tale aspect yeah. to to that when pumpkin head arrives it's done with flourish there's lightning and thunder and wind and you know and that creepy ass <laughs> cicada sound yeah right so it's like there's got to be something about it maybe it's just kind of that um uncanny valley thing that we've talked about where it's something that's even that's not supposed to be there right uh and you know that's very much the the feeling that james wan gave like every frame of malignant and you know that turned some people off it made that movie the best movie that some people have ever seen you know (laughs) you know it's like i think you need to have a little bravery in in filmmaking when you're doing this too because there's nothing worse in we've all seen these movies they usually come out like you know February 3rd or, you know, mm-hmm. January 27th, you know, where, where it's just kind of like, here's this thing that's not the conjuring, but it's going to, it's close enough to maybe fool you into thinking it's a conjuring universe movie. And it's just, you know, played safe the entire way. You know, you can count where the jump scares are going to be, you know, where everything's going to happen, you know, mm-hmm. that they're filling in numbers. We've seen that. And that's, uh, those are the ones that always disappear that, you know, they might have a decent weekend or something if they have a good poster, but they'll, those are always the ones that like, will just never be talked about again yet stuff like malignant. And I'm hoping Megan, I haven't seen it as of this recording, um, you know, but you know, that, that kind of stuff's going to stick around because of that absurd angle. Yeah. Well, I, 
I know that's what like everyone loves, but like just from a writing perspective, I don't yeah. sit down uh, at my computer. And it's like I'm about to write some campy shit. Like, right? I, well, absurd I, and campy aren't exactly the same thing. But well, uh, but yeah, I, I get your point. Even even absurd, it's like I I understand like with malignant like the third act. Yeah, I know. I'm like this is gonna be fucking wild. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. I think I think absurd. I think absurd is what we're all getting tripped up here. Is yeah. this, this uh, word? I think bonkers might be the <laughs> the better terminology because I think it sort of captures the energy of it. You know, it's a it's a knowing sort of energy. It's not yeah. like you're not with absurdity. You get lucky on accident. I think. Mm. And mm. with if you're but if you're setting out to do something that's got a lot of personality to it and that it that could conceivably be filed under the term bonkers, <laughs> you know, you're going to get interesting results. Typically. Oh, yeah. And it's, and, and I, rem I remember, you know, to, to what you just said, uh, Kayla, like I remember when you were on the last time and we were asking, like, so was it was it in the script that uh she would pull up right to the side of the cliff like that in malignant. You're like, <laughs> nope, that's James. Like I fucking, yep. you know, I just she went, It was the front door. It was like I wrote that as like <laughs> she pulls up to the front of like this very creepy as abandoned asylum, and like she has to find a way to like break in. And then yeah, that was a decision that James is like because again, like, and it wasn't like in the script. I was like, and there's gonna be giallo lighting in this scene <laughs> yeah. it's like the it's doctor is like, like putting, yeah he's like putting stuff away and he's going to bed and then like camera like may pan over i was like there's this dark figure in the corner he doesn't see like that's what i was like focused on is like setting up basically the pins of the scares for james and then james is like he knew what he wanted the movie to like look like and the tone he wanted in his head which was the giallo tone of it all and so yeah mm -hmm. it's like he was the one who was like hey why don't we have her pull up to the edge of a cliff and it's like why it's like because that's the kind of movie this is <laughs> and i do do you feel that i you know my my take on that is that james recognized the the inherent bonkersness of the thing yes. and just brought it way to the forefront I mean, right. the premise, it's, yes, the premise in and of itself is like yes. this creature who has, you know, <laughs> the other thing was like setting up. It's like, yeah, he has he has supernatural powers because in the script, it's like it's it is mentioned briefly and deliberately that it's like Emily slash Madeline's mother is like he's the devil. It's like, OK, so then the question there is like, who got you pregnant? <laughs> Which is never addressed. And that's true. Huh. Well, yeah. something for the sequel, I suppose. <laughs> uh, but and yeah, you... no, it's like we we it, once we were all sitting down, it's like okay, the third act is going to be the big reveal, and it's like this is insane. Uh, but no, I didn't write it as this is insane. It's like wrote it completely straight, knowing <laughs> that James was going to do what he do. <laughs> and I think that that's you know there's a, there's an element of that to uh, Silver Bullet as well. The motorized jet powered yes. really, wheelchair <laughs> the the fireworks fight on the bridge you know like there's i mean it's it it is all you can look at it seriously but also you can kind of look at it from an angle like out of the corner of your eye like this is a little bit a little bit silly you know but it's it's so well crafted that both both of those elements kind of kind of complement each other and i think that's I think that's something Malignant did really well. And like Eric, we're we're recording this 
uh, very early. So I, I haven't actually seen Megan yet either. But just based on everything I have seen and the things that I've been told by people that have seen it, it sounds like uh, Gerard Johnstone, who directed Megan, has sort of brought that brought that same mix. Or were you or you were were you leaning a little harder into to the the uh, the bonkersness on on when you wrote Megan? When I wrote it, I was leading it more into the emotion of like Gemma, Katie, and Megan, that relationship to just make it like harder when, uh, uh, uh can't say, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> things inevitably happen. But yeah, again, it was like, this is insane. This is a four and a half foot tall doll who's got like state of the art AI running around killing people. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I instinctively know. That is a lot. Uh, But yeah, but just you put yourself in the movie, like those characters, like as quote unquote real people, like how are they going to react to this? What are they doing? Right. And there was that, that I also have a very dark sense of humor. I think we've talked about this before. (laughs) Sure. Like my sense of humor tends to go towards like Vanta Black, like it's just an abyss. And so like, (laughs) like You're in good company. (laughs) James and Gerard, uh, both have that kind of like you get like bonkers absurd so they're able to like pull it back a little bit uh and and make it i would say more fun with the bonkers as opposed to just like me constantly laughing in the face of death <laughs> right, <laughs> right. Uh, and i was really really happy um when gerard was brought on because uh, i'd seen housebound like his uh, yeah. first horror film uh out of new zealand so and I, yeah, housebound's I, fucking awesome it is, and I loved it. So when they were like, hey, we got Gerard Johnson, I'm like, oh my goodness, I actually know that person. And I'm a fan <laughs> of their work. This is amazing. Um, and Gerard was like very gracious. Like he called me, uh, was like, hey, really like the script, da 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 da. Here's what I'm, you know, th- you know, want to do. And I'm like, go for it. <laughs> like I am like more than happy that this is in your completely capable hands. And it's that Taika Waititi, like that New Zealander sense of humor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, that obviously I would not have. I'm not a New Zealander. Uh, but that just enhances everything of this world because yes, inherently what we are doing is absurd and bonkers and just fucking insane, but it's done in a believably fun way that I think audiences Mm. are going to love. Now you talked uh, initially up front about how important creature design is to movies Mm. like movies, like the ones we're talking about and indeed silver bullet. So I'm curious what you make of the werewolf and silver bullet. Mm. Like, can you, can you it stack is, that up against some some other cinematic werewolves and tell us where it lands? Obviously, if you're comparing it to things like an American werewolf in London, mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. it the, looks the kind King of, Daddy of yes, <laughs> yeah. It it Look. looks kind of silly, but yeah. I do appreciate that it is a werewolf and not the fucking it's it's a wolf wolf that like became the thing in the late nineties, yes. early to mid aughts. Like, no, give me, give me a six foot two dude on fucking hind legs and a fursuit. I'd rather yeah. have that. Yes. Um, yeah. Give me a dog soldier. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Give me, yeah. give me a ballerina in a, you know, on stilts in some weird thing. Yeah. And, um, if, he, I, and if he can still have ripped clothes on him, even better. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I'm totally with you on that. Like there, like there, there's a great eighties movie called Wolfen that yeah. is oh, yeah. has this incredible cast. It's like shot in like and dirty ass early eighties. That's New York, right? New York. Yeah, it is. Oh yeah, that's great. the Edward James almost movie. 
Yeah, and it, it's like this really well-made movie, and, but it's that same problem. It's like, and then the werewolf, by the time it, all this stuff is built up, you get like werewolf vision, this predator vision kind of thing as it's hunting people. And then you fucking see it, and you're like, it's just a fucking dog. Come, I mean, come on, make it a monster. Make it a yeah. monster, you it's, lazy bastards. It's kind of hard, because like, I when did this, like Silver Bullet came out in 85, so it was up against Lo- American Werewolf in London and The Howling, which both mm-hmm. had like amazing wolf special effects. Having yeah. watched Silver Bullet, I still love this movie. Um, <laughs> but yes, I can see that like this werewolf design is not not the strongest. But still, it's got like this movie has one of my all time favorite scares, mm. um, which is like when uh, the the drunken father is in the shed. Oh, you're right. And he's the walking, under, on, and, yeah, and you just see yeah. a pair of eyes underneath the floor. Yeah, it turns into Jaws. They made the werewolf a, a shark in that, at that moment. It's like pre, pre-graboids pre uh, tremors. Yes. And <laughs> Underground then, like, horror. Yeah. It comes up from the floorboards and pulls him under and, you know, and forces him to impale himself. It's like, that's, that's, the kills are well executed in this. Despite yeah. the fact that, like, the suit, the suit is clearly a low-budget 80s, um, uh, horror uh. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it looks the werewolf looks more like a, a shaved bear it does uh, a little fun. bit but it, apparently it, like have you guys like watched the special features no i don't know oh. this actually oh you need to watch the some. special yeah. features because like i um another one of my all-time favorite moments uh in this is uh the brady's dad that actor. oh right when yeah. he goes to uh, the pergola and like the camera does not show you Brady's body. It's just on his face. Yeah. And you are scared because of whatever he is seeing. So on the special features, they interview that actor. I think his name is like Kent Broadhurst. Um, and the VFX doll for Brady's dead body, like it came in, they put it on the set and the director was like, it looked terrible. Like, I don't know what happened with the special <laughs> effects people, but they did not execute <laughs> the the doll well. And the director was like kind of like freaking out. And, and the actor is telling this story and he just goes up to the director and he's like, hey, if you don't want to show the doll, which like the special effect is going to look goofy uh, and probably make people laugh, you can just hold it on my face, which is <laughs> a badass thing for an actor to say. <laughs> yeah. yeah, don't like, worry, I got you. I but he did he did he was like don't pan down just stay on me and it worked and like I I learned that story like I think whenever the the latest uh, special edition feature for Silver Bullet came out which is like last year or the year before it's just like oh my god so yeah watch watch the special features there's so much cool stuff Mm -hmm. and like uh, even when they interview Everett McGill because I I think Everett McGill is in the wolf costume oh really I I don't think he wanted um. Uh, uh, a special uh, or a stunt guy right. in there like he's in it and it's just like the dedication that these actors had <laughs> i can imagine that being the case with that guy that's that yeah. sounds about that tracks with yes that, that seems correct and just as a follow-up to the werewolf question how do you feel about werewolves in general are these you know um in the echelon of monsters is this is this know? my herschel walker like vampires versus werewolves question <laughs> yeah. i believe you'll you'll be a little more cogent about whatever point you make <laughs> I'm I'm seriously like as an aside. And yes, this is political. <laughs> yeah. It's just like I was I was watching this movie Fright Night, Freak Night, but I'm like, what the fuck were you watching? Because the original, and this is me as a horror fan. I'm like, the original Fright Night didn't have a goddamn werewolf in it. 
<laughs> I think I think Herschel probably ha- fell asleep while watching it and had a bad dream <laughs> and I, confused that. With I was literally trying, and it's like everything with Herschel Walker, your brain is just like, hold on, let me figure out this puzzle. I was like, was <laughs> was there a werewolf in Fright Night too? There's no figure. There's no figuring it out because he keeps laying down new pieces to the puzzle, and none of them fit together. <laughs> they There's don't. nineteen different puzzles, you know, <laughs> with disparate pieces put in front of you, and you're like. You haven't even caught up on the first thing he said, and he's already onto the fifth. And you're, you're, it's like your brain feels like it's melting to to, to listen to that guy talk. It is, it, but it's it's just straight the nerd in me. Like if I was wearing glasses, they would have been askew. I was like, what is he talking about? There's no, there's no world in Fright Night. What vampire movie is he? Anyways, yes, um, Underworld. That's what he was thinking. <laughs> Probably. Um, hmm. Vampires versus werewolves. Uh... Or you watch Steel Magnolias and just completely misunderstood <laughs> the entire thing. Schindler's List. <laughs> yeah. So I have to go with vampires. Ooh, like, interesting. They can control their ability. Like if we're going traditional. Mm. Wait, are we talking? Are you ranking here in terms of powers? I thought is that what like which I is the question which one is better which one do I think is better I'm I'm yeah which one do you preference. like do you what yeah what's your preference you know we don't ne- need to necessarily debate the the powers we'll be here all goddamn day if we have <laughs> okay. to do that but preference like your, preference would be werewolves right hmm. on right on yeah. yeah same how come like what's the uh, again yeah. if I ever got my hands on a werewolf I'm like let's make this a cool design <laughs> let's what haven't we seen really I mean there's only so much you can do. But mm-hmm. it's like, what haven't we seen with werewolves that we can now incorporate with like our modern VFX technology, mm-hmm. which I would also say it's like it needs to be, um, if not completely practical, then you go the Stan Winston route, which is like a combo of practical right. enhanced by VFX when you need it. Hmm. You know, there's if you're into werewolves, I read a book uh, last year, I guess, when this airs called The Last Werewolf. That uh, a friend of ours on the show, uh, Mallory O'Meara, recommended to me. It's by a guy named Glenn Duncan. And it does something way different than I've ever seen with like a vampire story before. Um, and I don't I, I don't really kind of want to spoil that for anyone that that might be interested in reading it. But it's it's very unique and uh, which I understand it is a redundant phrase. Um, <laughs> but it uh, and it, it's also, you know, kind of. There's a there's a fair amount of fucking in that book. It's it's pretty pretty scandalous from time to time. But the <laughs> werewolf shit in it is is excellent, and the the plot is sort of this like almost like globe trotting spy thing at a certain point, mixed mm-hmm. with like classic horror mythology. It's really fucking. It's a real cool genre mishmash. Um, if you if you identify as a werewolf person, I would. I would check that out. I think you might dig that. All right. I, will, I wrote it down. <laughs> right on. Right on. Yeah. If you end up if you end up adapting it, uh, just give me a special thanks. Uh, okay. And, and, and Mallory. Uh, she'll never let me live that down. So I, I'd like to kind of go back to this design thing, because when you're talking about Silver Bullet and Cycle of the Werewolf, the Bernie writes and designs in uh, of the werewolf in the original novella. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. is like all-timer werewolf shit. So like yeah. if they'd actually been able to translate that in any way to the screen, I think we would be talking about Silver Bullet in the same breath that we'd be 
talking about, I don't know, like a good Amblin ripoff from that era. You know what I mean? Um, you know, whereas now I think Silver Bullet for a lot of people is just like, oh, it's kind of cable trash or whatever. But then you, if you actually revisit it, it's really well done. The cast is incredible. Gary Busey is like oh, Uncle next Red. level, yes. you know, in it. You know, this is this is kind of when he was starting to find his walk-in-esque, you know, this is my my weird ass lane I'm gonna be in, but before he completely went off the rails, you know? So it's like, I don't know. And we mentioned Everett McGill, you know, I think Corey Haim is like the best acting he's ever done is in this movie. Um you know, uh, I don't I, I feel like it's it's under way undervalued for what it is. I think it's written off too much. And, and I think a lot of it is just because the werewolf design is kind of mm-hmm. goofy. Right. Yeah. Um, it's definitely not as threatening as as uh, like the scariest thing in the movie to me is the nightmare that Everett yeah. McGill has and everybody's changing into a werewolf in his in his church. Mm-hmm. And like just the way that it's shot and it looks like it's 900 degrees degrees in there you can almost see heat waves you know everybody's sweating and in various stages of transformation and stuff like that stuff's really creepy but like i don't know when it does boil down as we were saying like you need that silhouette you need that great design and they had it in the illustrations but they just never translated it there couldn't get it done on well dino de laurentis at the helm on this one, you know, <laughs> it's a Dino production. There's, it's going to be hemmed in a little bit. <laughs> right. Uh, Clearly. Because again, like some of the, some of the body effects weren't up to par. So <laughs> right. they, they pro- that was probably sadly the best werewolf they yeah. were going to get for whatever <laughs> money they were spending. It is quintessential Dino. Everything in this movie. I'd like to go back to uh, something we touched on a moment ago about Gary Busey's Uncle Red. I'm curious if, uh, Kayla, you you had anyone growing up mm. who was kind of like an Uncle Red in your life? Yep, my mom's gonna be like, <gasps> if she's listening to this, uh, <laughs> my 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 uncle Jeff, Miss Cooper. <laughs> like it was, and and I think that's another like connection I had like watching this because again, I watched this as a child. Mm-hmm. Yes, my parents let me see this as a child, uh, but Uncle Red was like my uncle Jeff, who told very inappropriate jokes. <laughs> around us to the point where my mom like literally i think like we were in the kitchen and my uncle like it wasn't like like overtly sexual or anything it was just like not a joke that a child should hear Mm -hmm. and my mom like my uncle and i were at the kitchen table and my mom was like in uh the mud room and whatnot and he told a joke and my mom just like sprints out and she's like you can't you can't no stop (laughs) wait a second you told I, the story the last time you were on. I show. did. I did. Yeah. Holy shit. Did I ask this exact same goddamn question last time too? I don't remember how we got on it the last time. Because <laughs> we weren't talking silver bullet, were we? What were, were yeah. what did we talk what? about last time? Oh God. Oh no. Right, I can remember. You didn't notice this. I am hypnotizing you. What did we talk about Pet Cemetery? What did we talk about? Oh wait, no, we talked about um um Graveyard Shift. Graveyard that Shift. Mm. That's what it was. Good yes. lord. Lord knows how we got around to Uncle Red talk in that one. But, you know, but yeah, so this guy, like, um, he was in a, so he told jokes, you know, perhaps yeah, inappropriate. Yeah, he, he told jokes and, like, he drank beer. Uh, Take you and on adventures was, and shit? Did he, like, you know, that no, kind of stuff? No, it was, his life was fascinating to me because, like, he owned, um, and he's he's since passed away, sadly, but, like, he owned his own um, trucking company at the time. Um, out of memphis and so like whenever he would just like be in the general vicinity he would always like make a point to like come by and visit his little sister my mom 
Um, and so just like Uncle Red, he would like, there would be a quick phone call from whatever, you know, like truck stop he was at. <laughs> it's like, hey, I'm, I'm swinging by. And then we'd see like the the cab of his 18 wheeler, you know, like pull in. It's like, the hey. storm would blow in. Yeah. Yes. Uncle Jeff is here for, you know, like a couple of hours or a night. And then, yeah, he, you know, uh, share beers with my dad and my mom, tell some stories, uh, play games with us, tell inappropriate jokes and then, you know, blow out of town the next day. Hmm. You think it's important for kids to have a, a an adult figure like that in their life versus, say, their parents who might be a little more rule oriented? I don't I don't, you know, want to, like, prescribe what sure. could be best for children. But I think it is. It's like, obviously, as children and the mother says this, like in in Silver Bullet, it's like this is his perception of the world. And what are you putting out there? But it's also it's like adults are messy and adults aren't perfect. And like at that age, it's just like, oh my God, my parents, every adult knows everything and there are no problems. It's like, yeah, no, there, there are. And like, it's when it's family, especially yeah. it's like a way that you can ease into. It's like, Hey kid, the real world isn't as black and white, as simple as you think it is. Right. Right. And, and sometimes adults can be messy and that might be you one day. And like, hopefully it won't be, but if it is, we'll offer you like, you know, grace to fuck up as you as you need to, you know, mm. and like be you. And so, yeah, I think it's getting a, a, a 360 view of adulthood is good for children. However, parents can do that. You don't mm. necessarily have to have an Uncle Red or an Uncle Jeff. Excellent answer. Well, mm. well played. Well, I, <laughs> I do think that there is some value, though, in, in kids having an adult that isn't a, a strict authority figure in their life that there's just something. Yeah. Maybe that's just cause that's how I view my relationship with my nephews, you know, where it's just like, yes, I, if you're looking after and caring after children, you have to at some point be like, okay, you can't just run out in the street, you know, kind of, kind of thing. But I don't know. Like I, I do, I do agree that, that there's, you know, there, that there's value in like, Oh, this is what like a, an average adult is, you know? Yeah. And it's so also, I, it's like, that's what being the cool aunt and or cool uncle is. It's like, it's a break for the parents and essentially the child. Right. Like, I'm going to take you to do some fun, cool shit that we'll probably never tell your parents about. Yeah. We're going to watch some South Park. Yes. Keep your, keep your lips shut. The yeah, trade off yeah. is they get to like have a couple of hours away from you, which they probably need at this point. And right. you get, you get a pressure release to do something fun with an adult. Right. I'm thinking about what you were saying about how. You know, having somebody in your life like that um, provides a more well-rounded, like, outlook on what adult life is like and, you know, where you might end up. And I'm thinking about that in relation to my own uncle because we're, like, like when I was when I was very young, I loved, I had an uncle named uh, Max who I really liked. Uh, he was awesome. Uh, like, just like a big overgrown kid. I remember at one point he gave me, like, this thing that, it was a little toy, a little guy uh, named Seymour Butts, <laughs> and, he, and he had a suction cup on his back, and you would stick it in the back window of your car, mm -hmm. connected to this thing, uh, which was like like an overweight dude, like holding on to either side of his pants and looking over <laughs> his shoulder, you know, mm -hmm. and the suction cup was on his back. So there was like a little tube that came down from it with like a little pump ball thing. And when mm -hmm. you squeezed it, it would cause his arms to piston down and drop his <coughs> pants. 
So you could like moon other cars on the street with it. <laughs> and I fuck, I fucking love this thing. Like until my, and had it in my parents' car until eventually they're like, all right, you got to knock this off. People are getting pissed. Like, yeah. you know, you're, you're writing checks that our asses are going to have to catch uh, cash at a certain point. But that was the kind of goofy, like fun loving guy that that was. And then like when I was, uh, I don't know, maybe like, 11 or so like still pretty young but old enough to like sort of have a better grasp on things like he sort of ostentatiously revealed at one point to me that he was a fucking racist and you know that happened like in front of like my dad who fucking immediately got on like up his ass about it and it was it was like a shocking moment in my childhood because like that wasn't how I was raised at all. And it kind of made me realize, and I now fully realize this, that, you know, all that family that my dad had in that part of the country, which would have been Virginia, was like this. And this is one of the reasons he fucking left as soon as he goddamn could when he turned 18. You know, it was just like, I don't think he was on board with all that shit, you know, and, mm-hmm. and was a better person for it, you know, to get away from it. Um and I'm I'm thinking that that's like, you know, what you said is still true in this sense. Like it was, it was cool to see like a fun loving adult, and you know, have like that sort of friend to hang out with whenever I would go visit um, that portion of the family. But he did end up providing a well rounded view of what, yeah, you know, the various ways you can end up in adulthood. And man, it was just seeing how my dad responded to it in the moment and how mm. angry he got, like it, it made it very, cl- the distinction between right and wrong was so fucking clear to me in that moment that like, there would be no chance of me like ever ending up on that guy's side of the line. You know, mm. it just, yeah. it was a, a real formative thing that, that happened to me. So and yeah, I don't know. And I don't know, you know, if that's, that's being a kid, that's being in yeah. an adult world. I know it's like, We've had like these weird transitions where it's, I want to, I'm going to get this wrong. Someone like listening to this is like, that's not right. And they're going to have their Herschel Walker nerd moment. But it's like, <laughs> like earlier, like the Victorian Elizabethan era is like children were seen as like tiny adults. Yeah. Like the concept of an, a childhood is something that's like a recent invention mm. for like our species. And so like the idea of like keeping kids innocent by keeping them ignorant of the world mm-hmm. is in it, a way like detrimental, very detrimental to them. And so, cause then you have moments where it's like, they will inevitably be out in the world and they will see adults do weird and or bad shit. And, and that's when it's like, yeah, you gotta, you gotta have a conversation. And I'm not saying like expose children to everything, but yeah, it's this weird sure. line that like all of us are now. Cause like my generation, obviously like all of my friends and stuff are having kids and they're navigating like what they, you know, do and do not let their children see and like who their kids play with and what adults their kids are around. It's like, we're still navigating like how to have children have childhoods and be Mm -hmm. innocent, but also like not necessarily have it be such a shocking thing that is like traumatizing (laughs) when it happens. You don't want to, you don't want the kid to end up in therapy. You just want them to take away the right (laughs) lesson. And it's a fine line sometimes between those things. And I think you've underlined with that story, like just how important 
kind of leading by example is because yeah, if your dad totally. had sat you down and was just like, don't be racist. Racism is bad. You would have been like, yeah, sure. Pops and in, in, in one ear out the other. Right. Yeah. And, but you know, actually seeing that pop up and then seeing that instant reaction from your father, you know, and the way it made you feel like that forever changed you. And there, there's the opposite ways, you know, of casual racism and casual bigotry that happened in families yeah. that, that kids will, continue and carry on sometimes they can grow beyond that sometimes they they're locked into it you know it's uh you know again yeah i remember i remember feel shame i remember feel shame to have witnessed it and 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 again it was and he told a joke he told a racist joke at the thanksgiving table Mm. that's what it was and it was like it was so out of the blue and so completely unlike anything that i had ever heard come out of his mouth before that it it, st- it shocked me and my dad's reaction, which was like pointing his fucking fork across the table at him and being like, don't fucking talk that way in front of my kid. Like really like it was a shocking moment. And yeah. I remember like leaving the house that day to go back to whatever hotel we were staying in, you know, and it being quiet in the car. And then ultimately like my mother turning around in the front seat and being like, you know, well, what did you think about what happened at, thanksgiving and i was like what do you like i i remember being so ashamed of it that i didn't want to confront it and was and right. said that i didn't know what she was talking about i pretended like i didn't know right and you know i don't know why i did that i think yeah. i was just scared i think i was i think i knew that i had witnessed something that like i probably shouldn't have witnessed and i knew it was bad and like i felt like guilt by proxy somehow right. maybe or i don't know kids are weird you know they don't they well, don't know how also, to deal with that shit. I don't. I don't. I, I don't presume to know like sure. your childhood, but like, was that the first time you'd seen your dad get visibly vocally upset? Well, I'd seen him mad at me. <laughs> you know, <laughs> well, that, you know. That's, I had that's certainly, that... I had tried this man's patience on a few occasions. Let me tell you. Um, <laughs> but no, but, but it, like with another person, with another adult, yeah. Probably. Yeah, it's and that is because I remember like the first time I saw that with my dad. We were like at a drive-thru for like, let's just say McDonald's. That's probably what it was. And my brother, who had just gotten his license, uh, we had gone to the movies. My brother was in charge of driving, just got his license. Yeah, you, you know, you're going to drive now and get some experience. And like this couple behind us, like hit our car. Mm. And my dad looks at my brother. And he's like, you're driving. Go handle it. And my brother got out and like, you know, checked the bumper. Like there was no damage. da 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 so, like, my brother, you know, we're next in line. We pull up. The car behind us pulls up. Dude, again, hits our car. What A little the bit. fuck? And so now my dad gets out. Yeah. And he, like, walks over and he literally goes, what the fuck is your problem? And <laughs> obviously, like, I've been disciplined and, like, my dad had, quote, unquote, you know, like, yelled at me not to do things. But it was a situation where it's like, I had never heard my father be that mad. Yeah. Like, never. And I was, like, my heart started pounding. Yeah. As he yeah. was, like, cussing this dude out. And he was like, don't you fucking hit our car again. da 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 And after that, the gentleman did not touch our car. Like, he stayed, like, <laughs> half a car length away from us. Yeah, no shit. After that. But it's also, it's just like. Big Papa I, came out. <laughs> like, my dad is upset. We don't know if the dude behind us is sane. Like, right. is it going to turn into a fight? But yeah, but like yeah, that was yeah. the first time I heard purpose? my dad like cuss out 
another adult. Like, seriously. And it's terrifying. And clearly, you know, those experiences have imprinted on both of us. Yeah, for real. Scott, after that Thanksgiving dinner, did you go home, retrieve Mr. Butts and put him in a shoebox? <laughs> no, give I him think a my nice parents dedicated had, burial. I think by that point, my parents had, uh, quote unquote, disappeared Mr. Butts <laughs> from the household. <laughs> yeah, that thing was long gone. I remember. I, I know exactly what you're talking about. That shit was like always at a uh, Spencer's. It was I think it was at yes. like Hallmark. It was always that you can find like that weird. Yeah tchotchke oh, bullshit childish yes. like tchotchke s- section even in some place like hallmark which is just filled with like jesus cards you know yes. everywhere and you know crosses and shit and, and then they always have the little section where it's like here's your boss pull his arms off you know <laughs> dolls and stuff yeah uh you know <laughs> little velcro arms and shit here's your boss pull his arms off. i remember yeah. they did have those though. it was like the, yeah. the stretch armstrong thing it was like a stress yeah. doll he was it would be yeah they were all like velcro and shit so you like but it was yeah. like a businessman or whatever imagine rip his arms and imagine the off. hr nightmare today if you walked into your fucking office job with like basically a voodoo doll of your boss <laughs> and you're just like yeah this is you and i fucking yank on it whenever you piss me off. like you would yeah. be so fucking you would be Every- gone in a heartbeat son <laughs> that's why we have stress balls now Yes. Um, yes. The rip apart your boss doll did not <laughs> did not fly spinners, in corporate yeah. culture. Yes. Well, 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 it's time for another mid-roll ad read, and you are going to know and love our first sponsor. That's right. We're talking about the good folks over at Lumi Labs who are championing a little thing called microdosing. Now, when we talk about microdosing, what we're talking about are taking a little THC gummy throughout the day, and that will help keep you mellow, not floating in the clouds. You can enjoy your day. You are just in a more relaxed state. This isn't all about getting high. It's only about keeping mellow. And for me, these Lumi gummies have been a godsend specifically as kind of a sleep aid for me. So Mm -hmm. I've spoken a lot about how I have trouble getting to sleep uh, at a reasonable human being hour. Uh, And whenever I get into that crazy circadian rhythm, uh, what I do is I pop a couple of these Lumi Labs gummies and, you know, I float right away to bedtime, babies. And and it's so, so helpful in keeping me off my vampiric sleep schedule. This product is aimed at helping you relax and it works. Obviously, I can attest to that. The best part is Lumi's THC gummies are available nationwide and aren't affected by your state's marijuana laws because they use a synthetic THC strain. To learn more about microdosing THC, go to microdose.com. And if you like what you see, you can use the code KINGCAST to save 30% off your first order and get free shipping. That's microdose.com, code KINGCAST. Very well done, Eric. I have to tell you you for our first uh, ad reads of the year. Um, (laughs) I am here to tell you about uh, another one of our sponsors. We here at the KingCast are huge collectors of pop culture memorabilia, and that's why we're recommending that you check out the creations made by Scapes Action Figure Displays on Etsy. This shop has a major selection of movie and action figure accessories, from damaged skulls to light up kryptonite, from Pennywise to the Terminator, from Batman to Bane, you have to see for yourself what this shop has to offer. Folks, Do you have a Batman or a Superman action figure? Are they just packed away in a storage container or kicked under the bed by a child? Don't do that to Batman. Secure his fate as the overseer of justice with the Batman rooftop action figure display. Do you have a copy of The Shining all alone on the shelf? Add the red rum door to add character to your library. The Pennywise 
in the sewer is also nothing to chuckle at. See all these items and more, including costumes and digital art at Etsy.com backslash shop backslash scapes figures. Or you can search for action figure displays on Etsy, your number one place for custom made items. Once again, that is Etsy.com backslash shop backslash scapes figures. Perfect. You did well, too. Look at that. We're yeah. hitting the ground running in the year of our Lord 2023. Yeah. You know what? I think it might be time to get back and uh, talking about some werewolf shit. What do you think? Let's do it. Kayla, what's your history with the book version of, of this? Have, have you read it? Like, did you? Oh, yeah. It's yeah. one. So... It's probably my second favorite Stephen King writing i know it's a novella it's not a novel after pet cemetery like those really? are my top two interesting yes pet cemetery and cycle of the werewolf um and yeah. i remember uh like i think i'd seen christine and like discovered like stephen king was the author of all these books and like we'd we'd had silver bullet and so again like watching the credits it's like oh this is based on a novella by stephen king i'm like well i have to read this right now and so then i think it was a situation where i had to like this was before Barnes and Noble. So our local like chain bookstore was like Walden books. Right. Uh, and I, I had remember to like, Walden. I yeah. had to have it special ordered. Oh, um, interesting. Cause it, like, I don't know who was like keeping cycle of the world on the shelves at that point. And then I mm-hmm. got it and I read it and I'm like the artwork and like the simplicity of the story. And it was fascinating to me. Uh, Cause Stephen King wrote the script for silver bullet, right? Yes. Yeah. Like how he basically, obviously Marty is the kind of main character in cycle of the world even though it's like each month is a different death right it does come back down to marty and so it's like of course like that's the character that you pull out to center the story around but i was just fascinated by like the deaths that we didn't see um right like the uh, the murder of like the the farmer's pigs and all of mm. that kind of stuff um so yeah it's like i i love making that contrast and again like he's like the artwork is amazing uh, and it's just like really simple, compact storytelling. And like having mm-hmm. watched Silver Bullet recently again for this, it's like I am I am forever amazed at how fast that movie moves. And I'm right. like, I don't think there's an act one <laughs> <laughs> to Silver yeah, Bullet. It starts I with think, a decapitation and just never stops from there. Yeah. Exactly. Like we're not given like the normal way of life before the killings start. We are just right. dropped into the beginning of act two. Well, that's because right. I'm pretty convinced that Stephen King said, you know, shit, I'm going to write this script. How am I going to do it? And he just watched Jaws and he's like, all right, so this is Jaws. We're going to make this Jaws and like down to down to the the grieving parent, you know, confronting the the police and shit mm-hmm. like it's, it's just straight Jaws. But like, that's the thing. Jaws opens with with the shark attack and you don't see life on Amity mm-hmm. beforehand. And, no. Uh, I'm pretty, you know, I'm pretty confident whether it's conscious or subconscious. I, I'm pretty sure Jaws is the template for, for King script. But um, going back to the book, one of the most fascinating things about this, especially somebody who reads a shit ton of Stephen King, I think that Cycle of the Werewolf is the one where you can see his process uh, on the page the clearest. And uh, the reason for that, I think, is because it started off as kind of a goofy calendar idea where it's like, he's going to write a couple of paragraphs for every month and it's going to be a different 
crazy werewolf attack, right? Yeah. And you can tell the writer in him isn't satisfied with that. So the first like January is like, I don't know, like a page or something, right? Or half yeah. a page or something. Then February is a little bit longer. And then March, a little bit longer. And then by the time you're in the summer, then you introduce Marty and you introduce this character that then is threaded throughout the rest of the thing. And you can tell he's getting impatient with just doing the kills, writing about the kills, right? And he's like, Okay, so no, I got actually have to do my shit, and then it actually turns into a you know a real novella, or you know, even, with connecting character tissues and whatnot. Ex- exactly, like you hit the nail on the head. It's like once you it, it's all about it comes down to characters. Like once you introduce Reverend Lester Lowe, who right. is this pastor preacher, whatever he's called, yeah, a reverend like man you know, of God, who is the werewolf. Mm-hmm. That's a fascinating character. Yeah. You're not just gonna like skim past that and be like, and now we're into May. Right. <laughs> like you you wanna know and you can tell the writer brain is like, dude, we gotta we gotta go back. We gotta, <laughs> we gotta explore this way more. And then yes, you get into Marty, who is this, you know, child who is in a wheelchair whose parents love him but are so awkward around him because this is like like well before uh, I mean it's still not great today but like it, it's not like the disability advocism we had right um, back then and so there's that aspect of it and it's like a 10 year old boy takes on a werewolf that's a, that's a great story right and also plays into all of King's strengths right and mm-hmm. this is why I think King's writing is always going to survive. Uh, one, it, it's not, he, he uses a lot of colorful turns of phrase like Mark Twain used to, but you know, but it's very deliberate and very, uh, I don't know, just not inaccessible writing. And he almost always has, he'll default into the, you know, this, uh, uh, this angle of, telling a story from a kid's perspective and that's always going to be interesting for kid readers and if you Mm -hmm. hook him as a kid you're going to keep them you know uh, talking about your work throughout throughout uh, your life i think that's why stuff like lord of the flies is easier for kids to read um you know for school bound Mm -hmm. you know things it's like you know there's an entry point in into his stories like it or this or the body or, you know, a, a billion talisman or a billion other, you know, stories that he's written. Um, and uh, I think that's kind of a, a secret to his success. And I, I think that Marty is kind of ridiculously fleshed out for as little writing is actually in this story. If you know what I mean? Like, so, and, and I think with the movie and with the screenplay, he also gets a chance to flesh him out even more and flesh mm-hmm. out his relationship with the sister and the family dynamic and the way his relationship with the sister kind of mirrors a little bit the relationship his mom has with Uncle Red and yeah. and, and and whatnot. You know, uh, there's a lot of smart actual like writing going on in this kind of goofy, <laughs> yeah, goofy uh, werewolf story. You you've teed up something perfectly for me here. You're welcome. I, I didn't want to. I want to. I want to read y'all the opening paragraph of Roger Ebert's Silver Bullet review, <laughs> oh, and just tell yeah. me what you think. Okay, and, right. and this is coming off the back of everything you just said. Right. <clears throat> Stephen King's Silver Bullet is either the worst movie ever made from a Stephen King story or the funniest. It is either <laughs> simply bad 
or it is an inspired parody of his whole formula in which quiet American towns are invaded by unspeakable horrors. It's a close call, but I think this movie is intentionally funny. And because I laughed longer and louder during this film than during any other comedy I've seen since Broadway Danny Rose, I am going way out on a shaky limb and actually giving the movie a three-star rating, which means I even think you might enjoy it too. What do you think of that? I see where he's coming from. I don't even though I appreciate the, I appreciate the movie as horror. But again, I saw this. He's an adult man. Right. <laughs> he made this review. I saw this as a, like a six year old. I think like it, it was there were some parts that were scary. But again, watching it as an adult, there are some things where I'm like, really, really movie. I know, but laughed longer and louder. <laughs> like I, I feel I, I almost feel like what he's responding to is that thing we were talking about earlier, that that bonkers thing that goes on right. in some of these creature features. But I don't I don't think Silver Bullet. I, I think Silver Bullet is an incredibly entertaining movie. Right. I don't think it's particularly funny. Like, no, there are there are funny parts, but like right. funny isn't one of the even among the top 10 words I'd probably use to describe Silver Bullet. Right. Um, well, I think it's that it's like. It, you you buy into it or you don't. And like right. to make the malignant comparison, this is where, you know, James Wan is like really, really smart about horror, like having a main character pull her car up to the edge of a cliff. <laughs> right. Nobody, like he's teaching you what movie you are watching and you either buy into it or you don't. Mm-hmm. So I could see Roger Ebert saying that and being like, this is hilarious. I don't know if it's deliberately hilarious. Or it's like, it is if you don't buy into the movie that you're watching Ebert to me was at his best when he was championing movies. And this mm-hmm. kind of shit to me just reads as, as him putting himself above the material. And, uh, he did do that with horror shit from time to time. He did. He did a lot. And like he, he did some, he and Siskel both did, uh, some really repugnant shit in the eighties, you yeah, know, with like kinda, Friday the 13th. Prefer- yeah, yeah, Friday the 13th the fuck- demonizing slashers yeah. and demonizing this stuff, which is very uh, like yes. pr- prudish and religious, right? You know, kind of stuff, which they weren't, I don't believe. I don't think they were overtly religious, but they fell into that same trap of, you know, in that satanic panic era. I think they just horror movies being, you know, evil yeah, for kids and stuff. My, my impression of all that has always been that they just found there was, despite uh, Ebert's, you know, history within the exploitation genre. You know, he wrote with fucking Russ Meyer. Come on. Now. He did. Yep. You know, like. But this, those were titty well, Ebert, movies. Horror yeah, is Ebert a horror was. Well, that, well that's what I was kind of. can have titties. That's what yeah. I was. I was going to say. And and <laughs> uh, the, what I was going to say is, but Ebert was more inclined to be horny than he was. Yes. To be uh, to <laughs> want to be frightened or like right. see violence. I've always kind of thought that what they were responding to so negatively was their perceived nihilism of mm-hmm. of horror mm-hmm. and the idea that it's just you know a slasher movie which you know and we're here we're specifically talking about the way that Ebert and Siskel dealt with slasher movie in the, movies in the 80s you know so many of those movies i can imagine a certain generation looking at those and being like it's literally just people you introduce a bunch of characters and you kill them brutally and then it ends like that's it. I can, I can understand a certain mindset that would allow you to see nothing but the nihilism in that. Mm -hmm. And, and I wonder if I, I wonder if Ebert were still alive, like if he wouldn't have 
ultimately come around on that somehow with with horror. I don't know. I maybe it just wasn't in him. Hmm. He, he liked a lot of horror stuff and he supported a lot of horror stuff. It's just when he slasher he would stuff he hated. Sla- yeah, yeah, slasher I, I, stuff I in particular. Like but yeah. He liked what we call elevated horror at the time. Like he probably right. loved yeah. the hunger. You know? Right. Oh yeah. I, I'm like, gonna look it up. Hold on. Like Let's that see. shit. Let's see what he get. He get. He ended up giving Silver Bullet three stars. Yeah. Uh, but in, uh, this movie's stu- yeah, yeah, so this stupid, stupid that yeah. that you'll enjoy it. Kind of underhanded. Yeah, so kind of a backhanded compliment. Yeah. Uh, oh no, he gave The Hunger one and a half stars. What? Hmm. Quite frankly, Roger, unforgivable. <laughs> but oh my god, the first line. The Hunger is an agonizingly bad vampire movie circling around an exquisitely effective sex scene. Okay, I was wrong. <laughs> I'm surprised by this because I, w- I would have been with you on this. I think that I think that he would would have responded to like the modern, particularly right now, the uh, elevated horror. I don't even like using the fucking term. Drives yeah. me up a goddamn wall. What I think of it as is trauma horror. That's the right. flavor that that. I feel like this has become uh, over time. And I got to admit, I'm fucking bored with it. I I, I am. Some of these movies are excellent. And yet, like, I feel like I've seen the same thing like 15 times now. And oh, my God. Also, I want to let me let me finish this spot because I'm going to compliment you here. Um, I think I suspect that. One of the reasons that people embraced Malignant so much and are are seeming to embrace Megan so much is that it's fun horror. Yes. And, and I think we've been missing that element for a hot minute where it's just like, look, it's a yeah, it's a little bit goofy. Yeah, you're still going to see some kills, but it's just going to be really entertaining and maybe from time to time you'll be creeped out. I fucking love that flavor of horror and I I think a lot of other people do too and are kind of burnt out on this shit. Do y'all agree or no? I have appreciated like obviously like I loved Get Out and Hereditary is great. I was a little bit meh on Midsummer. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought it had its moments. Um, I thought The Witch was great up until the end and I'm just going to admit like the second and this also goes to hereditary to a certain degree. Like the second you give me naked old people, <laughs> I am I am Roger Ebert and I am laughing my ass off. <laughs> like my brain is just like, and we're done here. Right. We're, this is funny. I am no longer tense. I am no longer scared. So you love rare exports, is what you're saying. <laughs> <laughs> like, and, and I I really like my when I was talking with my friends afterwards. I was like, I really think, and you know, obviously, like. Uh, Eggers could give a fuck what I have to say, but like if the witch had ended with Black Philip, like you don't have to see the devil, but it's just like I'm going to teach you to read, <laughs> and then cut to black. Like the devil. That's won. interesting. That's really won. interesting. And the devil is going to provide her with what her parents could. But then you have that whole sequence where she goes out and like the naked ladies are floating in the air, and I'm just like, <laughs> uh-huh. it's like okay, cool. Um. Man, yeah. I love the ending of The Witch, but you got me thinking now because, like, that's a very clever ending. We're going to give you. you, we're the, the devil giving you education. Yes. The devil giving you the ability to, to go out on your own and, you know, really fucking do it for yourself. That's. And it, it that's, ties back into the Bible. It's a reverse brilliant. Adam and Eve. 
Oh my god. Like, yes. So All right, uh, Kayla, we're gonna need you to remake the witch. Okay. <laughs> Robert is not gonna be happy about this, but, but fuck, yeah, that's a great idea. I saw I will not name names because I don't want to be that I don't want to be a Roger Ebert, but I saw <laughs> a horror movie earlier this year that just like pissed me the fuck off. And I'm like, one, this should have never been marketed as a horror movie to begin with. It's not and it because it was like oh this is another elevator horror movie i i was i was pissed like but this but that has to do with the marketing right it wasn't the movie's fault yes but you don't want to name it i don't want to name it but like it was it was the marketing because it was marketed as like a kind of like witch like horror movie i'm like okay i think i might know what you're talking about yeah 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 we can we can talk about it um yeah later uh, but I was, I was, and it was like beautifully shot and the acting was great, but I'm just like, this is not fucking horror movie. And why is this happening? <laughs> the Mitchells versus the machines. Gotcha. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of which being that this is the, uh, the first episode of 2023, what was your favorite or maybe a couple of favorite horror movies from, from you for 2022? Uh, favorite. I have to give a shout out to Barbarian. Yes. Like, I yes. was in the theater. Like, if you've seen it, you know. But, like, the moment the reveal happens, it was the first time I, like, yelled when it out cuts loud. to Justin and if- Long's character? Is that what you mean? <laughs> yes. Justin Long terrified the shit out of me. And I screamed out loud in the Alamo Draft House. Um, well, when you say the reveal, though, are we saying the reveal of Mother? Or, yes. like... Okay. Yes. Okay, when gotcha. when she goes down in the basement, even though she fucking shouldn't, and she knows she shouldn't, we're all like, you know, like, <laughs> like, don't fucking go down there. You literally just said you weren't going down there. And then Bill Skarsgård is like, I think this tunnel continues. Spoiler alert, people! It's like, I think this tunnel continues to go this way. It's like, let's go back. And then all of a sudden, like, and again, I laughed because it's like random naked person coming at me in the dark. <laughs> here's here's how I would die. It's like I would be somewhere scary and it would be like a naked person and I would just start laughing and like my fight or flight <laughs> sense would get completely screwed up and I would have time to either fight or run. You got just enough time to be like that dick's flopping around and then bam the act gets you. Yeah, it's, it's funny. funny. It is funny. It's funny. And with funny. and with mother it's just like titties just swaying back and forth really fast. <laughs> And then she grabs him and bashes his head. But, like, she comes out, and I'm like, ha! Like, oh, my God. Like, and I thought I was going to get, like, a card from the Alamo people. <laughs> but I was not the only one who made a noise at that moment. Right. It was just like, holy shit. Wow. I'm like, okay, kudos to you, movie. You got me. And uh, now, man, because I knew, as, as horror people, I'm like, okay, there's going to be a jump scare. Yeah. In my mind, it was going to come from behind the the lead female character. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, there was like, we need to go back. We need, because she kept saying, it's like, we need to get out of here. We need to go out of here. I'm like, okay, so something's going to come from the direction that she came in and like trap them down there. And to have it come from behind uh, Bill Skarsgård, I was like, oh shit. One, did not see that coming. Two, that's terrifying. Also funny. Oh my God. Yeah, I loved, I love Barbarian. And that's one that, um, in a similar way to Nope, which is, you know, another one of the year's great horror films. I loved it infinitely more on second viewing. You know, mm-hmm. uh, we just, uh, we're recording this actually like right after Bespy and I went out to LA for the, the legacy of the shining panel that we hosted. And 
on the flight out there, um, they had added a nope to the to the lineup of movies you could watch on the plane. And I hadn't seen it since theaters. And when I saw it in theaters, I was like, yeah, that's a really good movie. I liked it a lot. Um, but I didn't love it instantly in the same way that I loved Get Out and mm-hmm. Us. It mm-hmm. was something about it was keeping me at a remove. And I think, frankly, it was me being too dumb to really uh, like pick up on a few things. And so I was sort of confused about like what this thing meant or what that thing meant. And then I read a bunch of writing about the movie uh, from people much smarter than I am, particularly uh, Richard Newby over at the, uh, the Hollywood reporter who's done this show before. We love Richard. Um, He, he wrote a masterclass piece on like the whole Gordy's home sequence from Nope. Mm-hmm. That really brought that uh, chunk of the movie into focus for me. And then when I rewatched it on the plane, I was like, this is a fucking masterpiece. Like, this is excellent. Uh, and that's on a tiny little ass screen. Not that much bigger than my phone, you know, but the 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 machinations of that movie and like what what Peel was doing there and how many fucking layers there are to that thing are just it's incredible. I, I really liked it. Still not my pick for horror movie of the year, but I but I but I did love it. Uh, Eric, what's what's your favorite from 2022? Um, uh, there's I'm saying this without having seen a few that are really highly uh, praised, like the innocence I keep hearing is really great. And I haven't seen that one yet. Um, I really liked that. uh uh, there was a movie that I saw as part of the Sundance lineup. You know, you did that thing where you could watch re- Sundance movies remotely. Mm-hmm. You can buy your tickets. I saw a movie called, uh, I think it's called Hatching or Hatchling. I think it's yeah, Hatchling. Hatchling. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, uh, that was one that really, it's in that kind of fairy tale horror uh, zone. And that was one that just going into it, I was like, I don't know, like w- whatever this is going to be. It's, you know, it's a foreign movie. So it's, you know, done. A, the storytelling is just a little bit different than, you know, traditional American horror. And uh, and it's got some really grotesque uh, puppetry stuff in it. Uh, there's uh, there's a really it is a story about, a you know, essentially a little girl that finds an egg and then takes care of it and the egg hatches and it's kind of this bird creature that ends up slowly turning into the girl itself and and it's like this really kind of creepy you know uh off kilter story especially as this thing starts uh killing people and it's looking more and more like this this girl um i I really like deadstream as well that was a a shutter movie that's uh, a found footage thing but it's it's done both of those movies actually are kind of have like influencer, you know, uh, they take shots at influencers. Maybe there's something, a thread showing itself here. Um, I don't know. Those those are ones that <laughs> yeah, jump to perhaps. mind. I think, uh, I, you know, there were a lot of really great options this year. But the one that's the, the horror movie that really stuck with me more than any other one was a movie called Resurrection. Um, mm. Written and directed by Andrew Seaman. Uh, it stars Rebecca Hall and Tim Roth. Did either of y'all see this? Mm-mm. I haven't seen it, but I know what you're talking about. Yeah, you yeah, you, you sung its praises before. I still haven't had a chance to watch it. Fucking bananas. Like, <laughs> in a really dark way, there's nothing funny about it. Um, but, you know, there's uh, there's this centerpiece monologue that Hall does that goes on for 10 uninterrupted un- minutes that will just blow you the fuck away 
Tim Roth is doing some really weird shit in it. And the movie just starts, starts at like a two and then builds and builds and builds and builds and builds until it's like at a 20, um, really got under my skin. There's probably no other horror movie that I saw this year that, or last year, I should say that, um, I've spent more time thinking about in the time since and Mm. that I am uh, not terribly inclined to revisit. Like it's it's a not Mm. a rough sit, but it's sort of like it's it's powerful. That movie, there's there's something to it that um, will throw its weight on you. So it's not like a thing you can just pull up and casually watch. Uh, Mm. But yeah, I don't think I've seen anything else this year that any other horror movie this year that like yeah. galvanized me the yeah uh, resurrection sitting at like a, a a super high rotten tomatoes critic score and a super low audience score which leads me to believe it's probably good shit <laughs> yeah i can imagine the average person just being like what this movie is about what um <laughs> because it has it has some big leaps in it like you'll yeah and it commits to the bit you know, it really fucking does right up through the end. So uh, I strongly recommend that to anyone that will listen to me. But uh, just be aware of what you're getting into. It's not like 101 shit. That's mm. that's real deal stuff. All right. So are, do we have any final thoughts on Cycle of the mm. Werewolf, Silver Bullets, Werewolves, anything of that nature? I love the novella and I appreciate the movie, even though, mm-hmm. yes, like special effects aren't that great. Um, Though I will like offer this, like, because I saw it as a little kid. My older brother, uh, there's the moment, or there's a scene where uh, Everett McGill's Reverend Lowe is trying to like kill Marty by driving him, like running him over, like throwing him off the bridge with his car. Yeah, mm-hmm. and like they, the, he ends up in this like abandoned bridge, and Everett McGill is like stalking him and like trying to rationalize why he's not going to kill himself. Uh, and why he him being a werewolf is a good thing, which I want to point out is only for one death. Right. That's true. It's, it's the woman who committed suicide. It's like, so So, what are you thinking you're doing for all the other people, my guy? <laughs> <laughs> but he's just building to like murdering this small child. And he was like, I wouldn't have had to do it if it weren't for you, you meddling little shit. <laughs> and it's one of the best lines. It's like, Going back to graveyard shift, it's like you and I are going to hell together. It's like <laughs> again, <laughs> amazing line delivery that like when my parents weren't paying attention, like my big brother would like call me a meddling little shit because he just loves. <laughs> it's an excellent combination of words. It is. It's like he loved how Everett McGill like like delivered that line. Though I just also want to say it's like watching it again. I was like, there are so many times he just could have killed Marty. And also, having grown up on a farm, there's no fucking way in hell that farmer would have heard a little boy's screams over his tractor. That gets me. That gets me every time. Every time. Even as a little kid, I've been like, I, I have been outside when my dad has been, you know, like, you know, like planting seeds and doing all of that stuff. There's no way. Like, it's just too loud. But I'm like, okay, movie magic, whatever. Suspension of disbelief. But watching it now as an adult, I'm like, 
Lowe had an opportunity to just grab Marty and silence him. Not that's that I'm true. cheering for the death of a child, but it's like, okay. <laughs> but, but that that kind of goes to like the inherent inner torment of the werewolf as a creature, and why I find you know werewolves way more interesting than than vampires mm-hmm. on the whole. Um, because you do, and especially in this case, like that that whole speech is great to show that like he's loving the power that comes with mm-hmm. the werewolf thing, which can also be, I might add a parallel to the power he has uh, as a man of the cloth. Right. You know, a lot of these people, they, they get really caught up in being the center of attention and the voice of God. Right. And they let it go to their heads. And which is why you see a lot of really bad uh, <laughs> preachers out there doing really bad stuff. And, you know, uh, but anyway, like I, I, I do like that they try to make him the tortured soul. And there is that part of him, but there's also the part that really loves the power of it and, you know, kind of views himself as a weapon of God, you know, in this thing. And, and, uh, but you know, there's also a part of him that feels cursed and tormented by it. Hence the nightmare, you know, and the guilt that he's feeling over it. You know, I, all that stuff for for something that's is a, you know ostensibly mm-hmm. just a uh, a cheesy B movie. There's actually a lot of really smart writing you know going on here. You know a lot of things that are right below the surface that like kind of add up to something where you can tell that King was like actually you know as the screenwriter you know trying to uh, put some you know things on on the page and in the movie that that are deeper than just werewolf mm-hmm. kills kills people. Yeah, because it's like he he does try to stop the vigilante mob. Like he's out yes. there begging people not to go. But then it's like, there's obviously that missing moment where the world in him is like, all right, I guess we're fucking doing this. You're right. Let's go out to the bog. And <laughs> yeah. these people go up to the bog. <laughs> That's it's like, yeah. literally he's just like, please don't do this. Please don't do this. And then at some point he transitioned and his werewolf half was like, well, I know where they are. Yeah, well, and that's another interesting angle, too, because, like, as a werewolf, he's targeting Marty at the end, right? So yes. there's a piece of the werewolf that that is still a piece of him that knows what he knows and is still part of his personality and is executing on the thoughts of the human side of him, right? Well, so, it is, because that's why yeah. he kills, or so he says, the uh, the pregnant woman who, right? whose lover left her and she was going to commit suicide. Like, he... I don't think he was anywhere near that scene because uh, the sister hears it, but he had to have known it was going to happen. Yeah, there's hmm. some complexities on on this and and the whole concept. Like, if they ever redid this, you know, I think that that would be an angle to really kind of fixate on is is just how much of Reverend Lowe is in the werewolf and how much of mm-hmm. of the human side of him is is actually reveling in it and and repulsed by it at the same time. It's a really good gray area. Uh, character yeah. yeah i think Kayla, if you were gonna if you were gonna script a remake of this what what changes might you make mm. oh see here's the thing um i know the company that has the rights and is trying to remake this um, <laughs> oh for real they are yeah but it's it's been in the work for a while now so you don't say shit you go and pitch that company your your take <laughs> Pretty much, uh, <laughs> yes. Like, it, I'm not like a huge remake, reboot, whatever person. Mm. Sure. But this is a movie that's old enough, and like the first time around, again, special effects, all of that stuff. Like the acting yeah. is like 
you can't the acting is great not going to touch the acting of silver bullet but there are ways that like you can improve on this story and yes i have a take on how i would do that and so no i'm not going to share that now. Mm. <laughs> i think a mini series like a, t- a 12 episode mini series and each episode's one of you know one month of the year i think that's the that's the unexplored aspect of the original concept of this um, that to do it like the novella well yeah that that was never translated because i do like the idea that like each of the werewolf attacks you know is you know you get one a month you know the lunar cycle you're going to get one full moon at least one full moon a month and uh you know what that does and and i like the idea of examining what that does to a town you know from you know that has essentially a a brutal murder every month on the dot right and what that can do to the the town i think there's a lot of a lot of stuff to explore in there Uh, what well, what I appreciate in the novella and in the movie, because really it's only overt when Uncle Red goes to get the silver bullet made. And he was like, yeah. oh, yeah, you know, like the, the guy who's making the bullet is like, this is my best work. And he's just <laughs> like, uh, and he's explaining his like, it's not going to tumble. It's going to shoot straight. And he's like, I'm not going to going to shoot anything. It's like my nephew just loves Westerns. He's like, what would you use a silver bullet for? And dude is like a werewolf. Uh-huh. Like, the town knows. <laughs> right. like, no one really wants to say it out loud up until you get to like the the gunsmith. But like right. <laughs> once a month, there are like wolf prints in the snow and yeah. mud. Like we fucking know, dude. Heads torn off a, and shit. It takes a child to be the one who's like, yeah, we need to make a silver bullet and address we gotta this. Do something about it. That's another interesting thought because in in these movies, it's always you have to depend on the ignorance of the town. But like, what if the town like just did fucking gather around it going, nope, this is the evidence. And there's just a common enemy for them to fight. You know, Uh, I don't know if it would fit in this story, but that's a really cool angle for some sort of monster movie. I think where you the town isn't just, you know, dumb and playing stupid like that if it's a small, you know, interconnected knit community where they just kind of get and band together and go, nah, we're going to end the shit. Yeah. I think it'd be pretty neat. Well, you know, in terms of remaking silver bullet, you know, I don't think you're going to get any pushback from the legacy on this thing, at least as, as far as critics go, this is a 45% on rotten tomatoes. And, you know, we already talked about e- you know what Ebert had to say, but like I'm, I was just looking at like what some of the other, what the trades had to say when this came out, like variety. Silver Bullet is a Stephen King filmette from his scriptette, from his novelette, which may sell some tickets, but not without regrets. <laughs> wow, they were working that one, dude. They went fucking hard on that motherfucker. Um. The kids have a silver bullet, the only power that will stop a werewolf. Unfortunately, there's no known power that will stop films like this. Brutal. Like, that seems unearned to me. Totally. Um, Totally. Do you think that's as as Kayla said earlier, like maybe we're I mean, maybe we are wrong to some degree because we grew up with this movie and we we love it. You know, maybe if I watch this cold as a 40 something year old man, I'd be like, no, come on now. You know, but at any rate, I don't think it's a precious property. I think I think um, I think I would I would be very welcoming of a remake of this one and would be, you know, particularly curious to to see what we could what could be done with a werewolf, um, you know, with with today's tech. And please make it not all CGI. 
you know, for the love of God. But, you know. <laughs> American Werewolf in Paris, here we come again. Oh, Lord. Uh, do you think a lot of that critical reception was kind of Stephen King fatigue at that point? Could you know, been. like. Yeah. Yeah. Be, because, I mean, listen, I there there is there is truth to nostalgia goggles and the feelings that we had as children watching this are always going to be a part of our feelings, uh, you know, watching it today as, you know, through grown adult eyes. But I've seen a lot of movies that I thought were really great when I was, you know, five or six years old. And I go, nope, that shit doesn't hold up at all. So yeah, I've, I've like, done a lot of that too. Where it's like, Ooh, no, what was I thinking as a child? <laughs> right. But you know, I don't know. I, I think that there is a good argument to be made about Silver Bullet being, you know, a misunderstood movie. Is it a masterpiece? I don't think so, but I think it's a misunderstood genre movie. You know, definitely not forty five percent. You know, on Rotten Tomatoes, bad. You know, yeah. I'd, I'd move it into the sixties, like high sixties. Yeah, high sixties. I'll go. I'll even go seventies on this bad yeah. boy. I'm like, yeah. what's a C minus? <laughs> It's they did the best with what they had, exactly. You know, which is the 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 you know Dino's basically whole mo. We're doing we're doing the best with what we can, <laughs> um, and and I I think it holds up. I, I I do think this one holds up, and I think maybe some of that is nostalgic goggles, but it's not it's not all of it. I just genuinely like this movie. Yeah. yeah. So. It is it is a B movie that doesn't try to do yes. anything more than be a B movie, which like I've said many times before, I love those. Like I I am a sucker for a good B movie that is just like this is what you paid your money for, and this is what I'm gonna give you. Yep, gonna do right what it says on the tin. Don't worry about that. Uh, I have a I have one final question for Akela uh, as a writer, um, and what you think of they King does something really bizarre with this uh with this screenplay and that is you get the narration from the sister and you get about i don't know 10 or 15 minutes of the entire movie told from her perspective like when she's investigating mm-hmm. uh like trying to figure out who the werewolf could be looking for the person with the eye patch but the rest of the movie is absolutely not told from her perspective even though she's the narrator of the story um, what do you think of that approach? And is that something you think would fly today where, or would that get noted out? I think that would get noted out immediately. It's like, it's either it would get, it would get changed. It's like, if Marty is a protagonist, why is Marty not telling this story? Or if you're going to have the sister be the narrator, then the sister needs to be the protagonist. It's going to be right. one hmm. or the other, because I can hear the exact note in my head. It's like, you don't want to confuse the audience. Yeah. Um, <laughs> It is, honestly, like, until you mention it, like, I know that she's the narrator, and it was just, I don't know why, I just assumed, like, yeah, she's the narrator. Like, it never bothered me before hmm. that she's the narrator, and it's right. it's her brother, it's it's her brother's story. Like, honestly, he should be telling this story because he was the one who shot the firecracker in the guy's face, and, like, <laughs> right. like he did all of it, like, he's the active character. Um, but also it kind of just like when you get to the ending of like, I love you, Marty, it's just like, yeah. where oh. is Marty as you're telling the story? I know. Is he dead? Exactly. This, I'm like, is this a stand by me situation where he got stabbed in the throat or something? And now she's looking back and telling the story. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like also, cause like the sister in the novella is just like a little asshole. Right. Yes. And so I can see Stephen King. It's like, well, I can't just have her be like a little shit the entire time. It's like, how do I build up this character? It's like, oh, make her the narrator. Right. Hmm. 
and hire a really good, like dramatic actress, older actress to, to yes. read it as if this was an old timey tale, even though it seems to be set very current modern day, by the way. So yeah. Modern day at the time. Was it set? It was it eighties for eighties. Uh, it might've been 70. I mean, there is that whole like 4th of July celebration going on that like anytime, any, like I, I wonder if that was supposed to be like the bicentennial or something. Oh but, yeah. But the car, but the cars look of that age where it could be like early eighties cars, late seventies cars that everybody was still driving. I don't know. Yeah. It, it reads to me like an eighties set Same. story. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. No. It's an interesting question. I hadn't thought about it. You know, that period, you know, signifiers like cars and technology and shit, it all kinds of smears together between the yeah, late really 80s, does, mid it's, 80s. It's also hard to distinguish like late 80s, early 90s. Yes. Right. Very much so. Whereas now it's like you can you can definitely tell the difference between like 2010 and 2022. <laughs> <laughs> yep. It, it just depending on how many fucking lenses are on the back of somebody's iPhone in a movie. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> Like, oh, there's 17 that looks like a, a fly's eye, so it's a modern movie. And yeah. speaking of modern movies, this is usually the point in our show where we allow our guests to, you know, tease whatever they've got coming up next or promote whatever they are here to promote. Uh, Kayla, we've already talked a little bit about Megan, but um, as people head into this weekend, as they are voting with their movie going dollars, what do you want them to know about Megan? That Megan is, you know, she could be, she's cool, but she could be misunderstood. She is, mm. she is a victim of Word. her programming. So is Megan truly evil or is she just doing the best she can? You know, mm. I'll leave Fair. you with that question. If Megan were to uh, attack me, I would simply pay <laughs> Megan $7 <laughs> and ask it to spit out a dozen AI art profile pictures for me. <laughs> and I, I would make Megan fight Haley Joel Osment from AI. <laughs> <laughs> I want to see that mashup. Oh, she I think would. Megan's going to fucking smoke his ass. Oh, she would definitely. Mm, there's but no. there's a bunch of Davids though. Like what, what if, if they're all crying about David their mom, arm. Megan's not here. Megan doesn't have time for this. She's here to do dances and slash. Yeah. Them. But his I, face gets all droopy when he eats spinach, my man, that's, that's really creepy. You know, I'll, I'll say this there. Don't yes. There, there would be a bunch of Davids, but once you see the movie, you'll know <laughs> that Megan has a way around that. Oh, good. Goodness gracious. So excited. Yes, we cannot wait to see it. And thank you, Akela, so much for being here again today. You are one of my favorite guests, and we I, I do hope you will come back yet again. Good luck with the movie. I do not think you're going to need it. I think this one's going to be a big hit. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. I certainly hope so, and I hope audiences enjoy it. Many thanks to Akela Cooper for returning once again to the show. It's always a delight to have Akela on the show. And yeah. uh, this episode was, uh, you know, she's set a high bar on the last one and she has sailed over it and uh yeah no it's always a delight i'm, I'm really excited uh for her next appearance already yeah she's uh only been on the show twice but quickly becoming one of my one of my favorite guests she's very easy to talk to and i imagine the editing on akela's episodes is a lot easier the ball is rarely ever falls out of the air it's just back and forth the entire time she's great Oh, yes. Not not a lot of dead space in those to be cutting around. Uh, dead air is usually your your uh, the thing you're trying to avoid the most in podcasts. And that's the thing, honestly, uh, that I notice in a lot of uh, kind of newer podcasts that, that I've uh, I've stumbled across. It's just like, man, just 
cut a little bit of that dead air and you're going to, it'll be so much better. And, yeah. uh, or you know what, get a Kayla Cooper to be your guest on the show. Then you don't have to worry about any of that. Very you know? true. Very true. Take note other podcasts. <laughs> Look at that. We're giving out our trade secrets. Yes. Now <laughs> we are, uh, we are here in the year 2023, uh, the year of the future, I believe. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, um, we got another year ahead of us. You excited for that? Oh yeah, yeah. No, it, it, I feel refreshed. I had a nice break. Mm-hmm. You know, it's. Uh, I'm kind of ready to hit the ground running. And like before we started recording, it seems like we planned out like more episodes and like 15 minutes before we started recording this than we did in like the last month. I think. Uh, I think the year 2022 did its uh, had its way with us, and we were just kind of ready to for it to be over by the end of it. I keep thinking. I was saying this in a conversation that you and I were having with. Uh, our art director, Daniel Danger, earlier mm. today. But, like, I keep thinking sooner or later things will calm down and it'll just be, like, normal ho-hum days for a while. I keep telling myself that. And I've been telling myself that since uh, for about eight months. Um, and it doesn't seem to be slowing down. So I think I got to stop telling myself that. I think it's time to face facts that I'm just busy as all fuck at all times. So we did get a little bit of a, of a break um, recording wise over yes. the last last three weeks, but I've still been busy as shit, Christmas hey. stuff, whatever. Yeah. But hopefully, um, I, honestly, I think for the next, I, I think until uh, I leave Austin in like mid-March, mm. I think it's just going to be a fucking full court press. And then once I, once I get out to uh, uh, my friend's place up north, I think that... Um, I think things will slow down a little bit. Or yeah. I hope so. I hope so. Well, you know. So we'll or, see. Or, or it's going to be even busier. You have no idea. I can't take busier. No more busy. <laughs> the, I, I'm at full capacity with the business. Busyness. <laughs> yes. At any rate, um, right. speaking of busy, yes, we have been lining up shows, uh, and we got another one coming for you uh, next week. Do you want to? Do you want to tease that for the for the folks? Sure. Sure. We were tackling a short story called Word Processor of the Gods next week. Mm -hmm. And uh, to do that, you know, you can't talk about that story without, you know, I don't know, having your guest be a writer of some sort. So, right. That is exactly it would be weird if like and then the art director of coming in to talk about this story about uh, this word processor, this early 80s word processor that uh, can actually write things into existence. Do you have any good teases for our guest? Um, he co-wrote with the director of this movie, one of my favorite movies of all time. I'm trying to think of how much of a hint I want to give a very, a very colorful, uh, horrific and uh, weird horror movie. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. And he also was a recent collaborator with uh, Guillermo del Toro. Mm. I think I can say all of that. Sure. No, I, I like that a lot. That that's a that's a good thing, and we can also vouch for his uh, ability to hold a conversation well and talk about Stephen King shit. It was it's a really fun episode. Yes, and uh, yeah, and and it's a title that doesn't really, I think, get its due a lot. You know, I don't know if you've noticed, but we seem to be doing a lot of short story titles, and I have no idea if that's just how the cookie is crumbling, or if or if we're just like subconsciously steering our guests away from talking about the stand for the fourth time or whatever. <laughs> like I have no well, idea yeah. what, what, what the, what's going on there, but like, I don't know. I find this really interesting because it feels like to me, like we're getting into 
kind of the nitty gritty of, of Stephen King stuff. Cause so much of his short work is like him expressing himself like more nakedly than in a novel. If that makes any sense, uh-huh. it's like, because it's so compressed, it's, you know, it, it feels like we're getting a more accurate screenshot of what Stephen King is like as a person through the writing and the short story. So, so yeah, uh, I, 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 yeah, that, that strikes me as, as correct. Like, um, I think doing the, uh, taking on more of the short stories, it definitely has had that effect. And it's also an easier buy-in for guests if they don't mm. have to read a 700-page book to do the show. Right. Um, and also, I, I think, to your point, getting into that nitty-gritty is uh, going to be, you know, I, I think that's more interesting than, like, doing a, a fourth or fifth episode on Pet Cemetery or The Shining or something like that. Right. You know, I'm not saying you'll never hear about those titles ever again on the show. Because surely some big name ass guest is going to come along and fucking <laughs> want to talk to Shining and we're not going to say no to them. Right. Um, but, you know, yeah, well, there's there's plenty of shit that we haven't explored yet. And a lot of it is in that short fiction. And then over on our Patreon this Friday. Uh, well, one, I want to welcome everybody who has joined our Discord server. If you're a yes. member of our Patreon, you can uh, join up if you're at the six or ten dollar uh, levels you get instant access to the discord and if you're at the ten dollar level or gunslinger tier you know there's going to be some special like live M- amas and we got some other stuff working you know uh or percolating in the old brain pan about uh special things for our, our gunslinger patrons yeah um, it's a new yeah. toy and we're not entirely sure what all it does yet so mm-hmm. Uh, it's sort of an interesting time with the Discord where we're kind of figure we're test driving it together with yeah. our listeners and and sort of figuring out what we can do with this thing. And uh, turns out there's there's a lot of wiggle room for uh, hijinks over there. So <laughs> I, yeah, and I've been really impressed with how uh, quickly everyone took to it. There are people in there right now as we speak, you know, having conversations. It's it's yeah. pretty cool. Yeah, no, it is. It, it's really neat. And I haven't spent nearly enough time in there. Uh, but, you know, because in our infinite wisdom, we decided to <laughs> unveil the discord right before between Christmas and New Year's. So though I've been uh, busy with girlfriend stuff and family stuff and all the, you know, holiday typical mm-hmm. things. But, you know, now that we're back to work, I'm going to be up in that discord a little bit more than uh, I have been previously. I'm I'm excited to really get into it with the patrons and kind of get to know some people and uh yeah if that sounds good to you you should uh, come on come on over it's uh, patreon.com slash the king cast and sign up and you'll get that and even a bonus episode or two uh it, it, our backlog of bonus episodes by the way is in the hundreds so if you're a brand new subscriber you're gonna have plenty to listen to yes and we give you new bonus episodes every friday and i think mr wampler might be able to tell you what you're in you're going to be uh, listening to this Friday if you're a Patreon. Yes, we are uh, bringing on a good friend of mine, uh, a reporter over at Entertainment Tonight by the name of Ash Crossan. Uh, she she has long expressed interest in being on the show, but also had never read a King book mm. and was unwilling to. I, I think she was nervous about getting into the arena uh, without at least some amount of knowledge. You right. know? Not like Mr. Elijah Wood. Who will just stroll into your podcast <laughs> without having read jack shit. Uh-huh. But uh, she. Yeah, she recently read fairy tale. And so we're going to talk to her about uh, her experience reading a, a sizable King novel for the first time. She uh, she enjoyed it quite a bit. And we're we're curious to 
we're curious to talk to someone who's just never read any King before. And then they read something that substantial. Um, and I know she's, she's a very fun guest. Um, very, uh, very entertaining to talk to. So, uh, we think that one's going to be a lot of fun and right. not to mention, you know, we, we have a main feed episode on, uh, fairy tale in the works, still in the works. And that will probably dive into the book's mythology a little bit more, mm-hmm. but, this bonus episode coming on Friday will be the first time we've ever actually discussed it at length on the show. Yeah. And we've uh, had a lot of requests to kind of do that. And I think this is the perfect way to do that. Cause this, we're going to have Ash talking about like what her experiences were reading King for the first time. And that's going to be its own thing. Uh, uh, but we're also going to be talking a little bit about this new book that everybody's been been reading and been asking us to comment about. So I don't know, like it, it feels like the right time and the right place to yeah. kind of wade into those fairy tale waters because there's lots to discuss with that one. I agree. I agree. Sweet. So, yeah, All that's right. uh, that's Friday. Go Great. over to the Patreon, get signed up and. I think that's all I got for you, folks. Yeah. Yeah. Well, welcome to the year 2023. It'll be a great one. Uh, I hope so. If, if I have anything to say about it, it will be. And yeah, thanks for, for listening. Adios, folks. The KingCast is a Fangoria podcast production. The show is produced, hosted, and created by Eric Vespi, that's me, and Scott Wampler. Tira Andley and Abby Goel are executive producers. Daniel Danger is our art director. And editing is done by yours truly. <laughs>